Welcome to Sustainably Speaking, the IIIE student-led podcast. I'm Ines Ortolonzo. And I'm Malik Al-Jabai. And today, we're joined by Dr. Sofia Cavalleri, an ethnobotanist researcher passionate about traditional medicine and diet. Sofia is the research coordinator at the Future Food Institute, where she leads publications on sustainable food systems and works on a million other exciting projects promoting healthy diets and food environments, among other topics, which we'll learn about in this episode. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's go back to the start. Can you briefly talk to us about your journey before MESPOM and what led you to this master's in the first place? Absolutely. So before MESPOM, uh, I was studying a bachelor's degree in international relations uh, and geopolitics. And uh, I understood that I didn't want to focus on diplomacy, but rather on uh, environmental policy. So that's why I decided to uh, do MESPOM, also because I wanted a different experience in terms of uh, uh, studies uh, that could involve uh, other students and classmates from different countries and also universities from different countries. Perfect. And Sofia, like, did you get into food systems during MESPOM already? And which courses actually sparked you and your interest the most? Um, during MESPOM, uh, yes, uh, in uh, Hungary, uh, there was uh, Guntra, Professor Guntra, that was teaching a course in uh, agroecology, I think, uh, and uh, sustainable food uh, and focusing on garden design, permaculture, a very hands-on course uh, that was very interesting because it really reconnected us to the source of food and to the soil that was uh, very, very inspiring. So that was for sure a turning point. And from then I, I decided to look into it a bit deeper. Fantastic. I also really engaged with Guntra's classes. Now, moving on to your chapter at Lund, you did your thesis at the IIIE together with WWF. From there, you decided to do a PhD with the Swedish Environmental Institute in Chula Longkorn University in Bangkok. What led you to this decision and what was your thesis research about? Uh, yes, yes. I, I always believe that uh, one of the richest things about uh, education um, is when you link education with uh, the real world, let's say. So outside of academia, when academia opens its doors to the outside. And uh, one of such experiences for me was writing my thesis with WWF. So being a thesis intern at WWF. Uh, working on their projects on urban solutions, uh, uh, on uh, sustainable development, sustainable mobility, and working from Stockholm uh, was uh, a great, great uh, opportunity. After that, though, um, I noticed that my education and my experiences were gravitating a lot around Europe, and uh, they were being uh, they were giving me a very Eurocentric view on the world. So that's why I decided to take up this amazing opportunity of a joint PhD in Thailand, uh, in Bangkok, because it was an opportunity to really look at the world uh, um, with a different perspective and consider these issues of sustainability from a different angle and to be very critical also of, of some things. That sounds like a wonderful experience. And what was living in Bangkok like? Yeah, um, Bangkok is a very hectic, dynamic and uh, complex city. It, it was a bit alienating during COVID, of course. But what I really, um, what really clicked when I was in Bangkok was uh, also thanks to my PhD, I really understood that the local food systems were 
very disrupted, in particular after COVID, and uh, urban consumers in Bangkok were not connected to the source of their food. So that's when I really started a, a process and an investigation, an exploration of uh, the source of food uh, in indigenous communities, uh, indigenous rural hinterlands around Bangkok, uh, and really to re-question how megacities are, are fed, are being fed, who is supporting them really, um, and what are the links between the urban and the rural, what is the urban kind of uh, um, area and uh, where and what is the peri-urban link and ring that connects uh, the rural and the urban. That's fantastic. Your insights actually lead me to to my next question about, could you talk to us a little bit more about the urban-rural connections in food systems? Absolutely. I think this is very fascinating because it's a a dependence uh, in terms of resources. Um, Historically, rural lands uh, have often been considered uh, as uh, an area that can be exploited in terms of resources, of natural resources, of uh, uh, various ecosystem services that can be natural, uh, but also traditional, cultural, uh, intangible heritage. Usually there is a very different mentality. So um, people living in cities uh, are living a very fast-paced life, right? But people living in in rural areas uh, have a very different life. So now uh, what I've seen also in Bangkok with my thesis is that there are more and more tourists and, and people that are interested in going to rural areas to learn the ways of living of, uh, of rural people, let's say. And this comes in a variety of forms, uh, agritourism, gastrotourism, uh, agri-sports even. Um, so there is this connection in terms of uh, resources that is a bit uh, shifting throughout the years. Before it was uh, the rural uh, that were being exploited. Now it's the rediscovery of the rural as a source of richness that is multidimensional. Speaking of multidimensions and multi-perspectives and the dynamic of, of this very urban and rural and urban uh, areas and systems, uh, can, can you tell us more about your experience working with urban living labs and how do they contribute to the development of future cities? Absolutely. First of all, I think living labs are the future uh, of sustainable development uh, because uh, if we want to implement change, we need to um, measure it and monitor it. uh, And living labs are the best example of that because, of course, they they have a scope and you can really um, measure results, uh, uh, find indicators and criteria uh, to monitor progress. And then living labs uh, are very nice because you can uh, learn very fast, uh, at a very fast rate, uh, what works and what not. Uh, you can implement them uh, in a city, but also in a district, uh, in a rural area. Now we are very, we're becoming very flexible in their application. So at the moment, I'm working in a, in a living lab in Pollica, that is a, a rural town in Italy. Um, it's in Cilento, Italy. 
and uh, we are testing a variety of solutions, uh, including uh, sustainable food systems, local food systems, uh, but also environmental education for kids, uh, digitalization of rural areas, uh, reconnection of uh, consumers with producers, uh, regenerative agriculture, and uh, all these things uh, have uh, a better visibility through a living lab because then uh, uh, we are connected to a network of cities that are taking part, for instance, uh, in the project uh, Cities 2030 and uh, are inspiring each other, these solutions. You've just told us a little bit of the projects that you're working on under the umbrella of the Future Food Institute, where you're currently located in Polica. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you came across the Future Food Institute and the other projects that this institute and you do as part of being the research coordinator? Yes, it's so many projects. I hope uh, I do them justice. So uh, the Future Food Institute, it's, uh, it's a foundation in Italy. It's based in Italy, in Bologna, uh, but we have living labs, as I said, in Pollica, in Tokyo, in the US, in India, and now we're, we're trying to open more. What we do is we use food um, as an instrument and a tool in order to achieve sustainable development goals. So we try to do this by looking at food through different lenses. So uh, food diplomacy, food as culture, food as social, as social structure, but also food as gathering, as an opportunity of bringing people together and discuss about things um, in a very open and inclusive way. I'm convinced that food is very important for that, also to change the climate narrative, that often it's very negative. And uh, what we try to do at the Future Food Institute, it's also to really create counter-narrative uh, of uh, prosperity thinking uh, and uh, really thinking about what we have. For example, with the Mediterranean diet uh, and the traditional Mediterranean medicine, we already have a lot of knowledge of traditional ecological knowledge stored in rural hinterlands in Italy. And the only problem is that this knowledge is not accessible anymore. So we just need to reconnect and tap into that uh, hidden potential to really unveil uh, that solution uh, for uh, climate change. But it's already there. We don't have to invent something new and create something. We just need to reconnect to our local traditions, uh, the ones that work for the planet and for us. Wow. First of all, the work of the Future Food Institute sounds so inspiring and also very creative. As you just mentioned, you work a lot with traditional food systems and gastronomic heritage. You come from a region, uh, and you work in a region, that has one of the most renowned and researched traditional diets and food heritage in the world. Do you think that the Mediterranean diet is often framed in an overly romantic way? And do you think that there are other traditional food systems that deserve equal visibility as the Mediterranean diet? Absolutely, absolutely. So first of all, I think there is a problem with the Mediterranean diet being uh, overly romanticized uh, because of, yes, movies and whatever, which is good for Italy in a touristic way, let's say. <laughs> but then we could use uh, the Mediterranean diet in a different way, right? Uh, as a tool to really reconnect uh, in a deeper way to the territory and to the local traditional landscapes uh, and to really understand, okay, this diet, how can we 
look at the ingredients and make sure that this kind of biodiversity is being preserved and this biocultural diversity is being preserved. So the whole range of traditions and the traditional recipes that are there, how can we make sure that older generations can pass on this amazing heritage that we have to the newer, younger generations. And uh, I think the Mediterranean diet, of course, it's very important for my region, but then there are other uh, systems uh, um, like the traditional uh, Thai medicine, of course, uh, that I studied uh, during my PhD. That is, uh, yeah, it, it is located uh, kind of curated by indigenous communities in Thailand, but then also the traditional Chinese medicine, if we look at it, or the Ayurvedic medicine in India. And uh, and actually, funnily enough, during my PhD, I became a yoga teacher, and uh, that reconnected everything because I had a Ayurveda course uh, during my, uh, my teacher training. So that was amazing because I saw the richness of, of the diet in that sense as well, of using food as medicine. So it was uh, very inspiring. Speaking from tradition and then maybe contrasting it with innovation, in your panel presentation on Friday during the alumni conference of the IIIEE, you, together with Kara and MESPAM alumni, spoke about transitioning to sustainable food systems. Part of the panel discussed the idea of using algae in cow feed to reduce methane emissions. How do you see the role of novel foods and innovations such as these and lab-grown meat compared to the role of traditional foods and practices? At the Future Food Institute, uh, we say that uh, tradition is uh, successful innovation. So that's uh, a very progressive conceptualization of tradition, I think, uh, that doesn't look at tradition uh, as a very passive uh, kind of uh, piece of, uh, of art that has to stick in a museum uh, and, and dust collects on top of it. But it's a very active thing that is co-created uh, with the local communities. So I think when we talk about sustainable food systems and sustainable diets, uh, it's often important to uh, be mindful and conscious of uh, the local society, the local context, uh, the social economic context, uh, let's say, and uh, the fact that uh, traditions adapt to the current context. And uh, innovation is something that can uh, renew and revitalize traditions uh, in a way that they can adapt uh, to a very difficult situation such as climate change, as we know, and build resilience. Could you provide some insights on the learning and innovation flow between the regions where your projects are being implemented? Is there any insights where it actually flowed from city to city, from project to project? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, cross-learning is super important uh, and uh, it's important to stay open. As, I, as we were saying before, it's important to learn and uh, to adapt solutions to different contexts. This is why my, my previous supervisor used to say that there is no best practice, there are only practice models, because uh, practice models uh, um, have to be changed, right? Translated and adapted to different socioeconomic, political, cultural contexts. And the world we live in is very complex. So there are 
varieties of factors that we cannot consider at the initial stage of the project planning, but we can take inspiration from different solutions and take what works and then adapt it to our context. Also, I was uh, wondering, one of the first things I saw when I came across your name on LinkedIn and in different profiles was that you're an ethnobotanist, or so you identify as. Could you tell us a little bit more about this label and why ethnobotany is important for a sustainable food system? First of all, I hate labels, so it was very <laughs> hard to find it. <laughs> I, I hate labels and I try to avoid them as much as I can, but since uh, we are very interdisciplinary, right, as a, as a background and uh, as an education, um, I had to define myself in a way that is very concise and could capture what I do. Otherwise, people don't understand. Are you into food? Are you a chef? Are you, what are you doing in your life? So ethnobotanist was, was very clear to really connect the world of like uh, anthropology and social sciences with uh, environmental science and environmental policy in a way that you, you can talk about how and explore how communities use, preserve and manage the local spontaneous plants and local plants in a certain area. So this connection between nature and humans and how they influence each other on a variety of aspects. What are three elements you hope to see in a future food system? Uh, I'm going to steal this uh, from the Future Food Institute uh, because our three pillars that I think are very good uh, are community, education and innovation. So by community, we mean that uh, sustainable food systems have to be co-created with the local community. And that means with a variety of actors uh, at different levels of the food value chain that is super complex. So this involves uh, radical collaboration. Then, also with the municipality, very important, also with the municipality and uh, policymakers. Then the education part, it's super important because students are like seeds and it's very, very important to nourish a compassionate, deep kind of education that can really bring students to the field, uh, to touch the ground, uh, to understand the source of the food and to really understand the effort behind uh, the food that they eat uh, so that they can be prepared uh, in a future to support the cost of that food, also by paying a bit more if that food is uh, organic, for instance. And then lastly, innovation, because as we said before, innovation is linked to tradition and it's constantly evolving uh, and it can inspire us to revive and uh, renovate uh, our food systems and to keep them uh, really, really resilient. Amazing. And although like the programs at the IIIEE, whether MESPOM or even EMP, they are not exclusively focused on food systems. Of course, it's a very interdisciplinary programs where you need to gain some key concepts from there and there, and then you need to connect them in a systems thinking. But for aspiring IIIE graduates interested in pursuing a career in food systems, 
what advice or tips would you offer based on your own experiences in the field? Yeah, go to the farm. That's mm -hmm. that's my, <laughs> seriously, that's my number one advice. Uh, even just one time in your life, go to the farm because you understand a lot. And the farmers are the best teacher ever. Like really, even when I was in Thailand conducting research for my PhD, and I was going there like right as as the expert uh, in the in the field, uh, and all the farmers were like, "Oh my God, uh, doctor, doctor, uh, uh, thank you so much for coming here." I was like, "No, no, no, thank you guys. Uh, you guys are teaching me everything. I'm like stealing your knowledge here." But really, it's it's not about stealing knowledge. It's about considering them our teachers and giving them um, the value that, that they, they deserve and the visibility that they deserve. So just go to the farm and uh, learn and then come back with a different mindset. What an amazing response. Amazing. I, I would really like to hear your opinion about the digital transformation of, of farming and integrating this kind of digital and advancements and technologies. Uh, do you have any opinions on this? also with the recent AI developments. Are you tackling in your research these kind of areas? And if so, could you walk us through it? Absolutely. Very, very relevant. Uh, we're talking about AI a lot, uh, in particular in Cilento, in the Cilento region. We're implementing uh, um, a new kind of research that is called uh, the algorithm of longevity. Uh, in order to study, <laughs> okay, it's a bit complex. It's uh, with a team of neuroscientists, uh, and we're trying to study the correlation between uh, the longevity of the population in Cilento and different factors that can be proximity to nature, diet, community, social aspects. So this kind of uh, algorithm um, is uh, an algorithm that can lead us to a better quality of life, right? And nowadays uh, that sometimes we consider algorithms a bit bad because of social media, this and that, we're a bit skeptical. Um, I think it's not about um, the tool uh, that it's bad, but how we use it, right? For what? What is the final goal? So if the final goal is uh, uh, to improve our quality of life uh, and uh, the state of the planet, uh, uh, that's an ideal tool, uh, an ideal algorithm, uh, and a uh, very, uh, very good thing. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad that we <laughs> like the, the, the flow <laughs> of the discussion was really super insightful to generate more questions. Well, it was a privilege to have Sofia Cavallari share her success story in the field of food systems. Sofia, we greatly appreciate the insightful inputs you provided. We hope you found the discussion enlightening and informative as we did. As always, our goal is to provide you with engaging and insightful content from the expertise and people at the IIIE. We encourage you to continue your exploration of the fascinating world of food system and stay curious. Thank you for tuning in. And we hope to see you in the next episode. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me.